I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hi, I'm Dorianne Wheel and welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. You are in for a treat today because we are going to talk about something that is close to many, many people's hearts. Who doesn't want the very, very best for their children? Who doesn't agonize at night about the uncertainty of the future and most particularly their future? Who never worries about what the world is going to look like when my kids are grown up? Who isn't concerned about what direction you want them to take and even more so, How can I, as a parent who essentially may not be trained in parenting, know what to do to guide my kids as the most important, important priority of my life? Well, we're going to give you some answers. Right here in the studio are two colleagues and friends that I've worked with for many years. Future-proof your child in the 2020s and beyond. Nikki Bush and Graham Codrington, welcome. Thanks, Thanks, Thrive with Dr. D. Very excited about this. My first question to you is I do remember some years ago you authored a book with a similar title. And so why another one? Is it not relevant anymore? Isn't parenting parenting after all? Good question, Dory. So 10 years have passed. This is the 10th anniversary revised and updated edition. And about 60% of the book has been rewritten. The first book was published in 2008, which was around the time of the global economic meltdown. And if you go through our predictions in the book, uh, you can literally take a pen and you can start ticking as you go through the book that these things have actually happened. So that book was really about the coming change. Everything that was sitting in the research and development laboratories of the world around nanotechnology, biotechnology, stem cell research, space travel, you name it, it was all there. But in the ensuing 10 years, that change has now happened. And now we're dealing with the magnitude of disruption that that is going to bring. And that's why we felt that this was a really important revision because the context is changing. Mm. And and that's really what Future Proof Your Child is about, is the changing context, the changing world, Mm. the changing world of work, and why we need to parent differently for that world. Mm. That's interesting. By the way, I didn't introduce... um, my colleagues properly to you. Nikki Bush is a parenting expert. She's authored many books, been on numerous, numerous talk shows, speaking platforms all over the world. So we really have got a parenting expert with us today. Lovely to have you, Nick. And Graham Codrington is, I would say, a business, I don't know how to pitch this, but it's like a business futurist. Is that right, Graham? I mean, you that, predict uh, that's changes. Good en- that's good enough. Uh, I'm well, always not... interested to see what people do. The when way I think of it, I mean, I can I can describe you as a really nice guy with a winning smile. <laughs> that's a, a kind I person. That, that's that's how I would describe <laughs> Graham. And it's been a pleasure to be in and out of your life on your journey all the way through. But I do know that you you are sought after all over the world. You've spoken in more than a hundred countries, I think. Yeah. And what you are sought after after four primarily is to help organizations anticipate the future and prepare for it. Yeah, organizations and individuals as well, which is why I wanted to write something about parenting Mm -hmm. as well, Uh, you know, being a parent myself. And every time I do work with corporates and I help them anticipate the next, so my title is Futurist, not looking at the far distant future, but the next 10 to 15 years. And almost 
almost every time we open for a Q&A session after doing a big executive function, uh, the first question is, but what about my kids? Mm. You know, what should my children study? Mm. You know, my 12-year-old has asked me, what should I do when I grow up, Daddy? And, you know, what's the answer to that question? So I've always known that the work I do in the business space has huge relevance uh, for parents Mm. and parenting. What I'm excited about is other people seem to be getting that as well. Because if you ask me, I mean, a number of years ago, 10 years ago, when you wrote your first book, that kind of question wasn't asked that often because there was a sort of a business ethic and a separation, I think, which was an arbitrary separation between work, between like we used to talk about work-life balance, balance, you know, as if if they were two really distinct different things. So the fact that people are recognizing that and indeed even have the courage to say, look, I have other priorities and that there must be some similarities. And I think you are seeing similarities in preparing for the future, maybe in a different way. But the the future is going to be the future, and so you have to. So I'm pleased to hear you say this, Nikki, because the thing is, I was going to say, does that mean in 10 years' time we're going to have to put this book on the shelf and get another book again, meaning that that some of the things that we embraced and believed were either not true or not relevant anymore. And the way that you've put it is parenting is parenting, but the context and the adaptation of those skills to a new and developing context is what's different. So one has to kind of keep up with that. That's right, Dori. And interestingly, change happens all the time. Kids change all the world is changing all the time. In fact, they're almost a mirror image of each other. But when we wrote the first book in 2008, it was a concept that was out of left field. Combining the future with parenting, nobody had ever done that before. And that that was, um, you know, the difference with this book to any other parenting book. This is not about nappy changes and it's not about discipline and it's not about all those things that you would find in conventional parenting books. And people were quite surprised at the combination. And when you think about it now, when I look at my audiences now, and the difference in audiences now is that the audiences are on purpose. They are now going we know that changes happen because we live with it every day. Mm. It's become stock standard. You open a newspaper, you listen to the news, you switch on your cell phone and you know there's an update or your, mm. you know, everything's changing. And they are starting to very, you know, openly say, well, what must our children study? What kind mm. of jobs are they going to do? There is a strong element of fear that runs through the audiences at the moment. And I think one of the reasons why we wrote the book is to try and dispel that fear, to try and help people to understand the trends that are changing the world and that it's not all negative. In fact, we are standing in the doorway of huge possibility. Mm. So we're optimistic and we're positive about the future. And our message is to encourage parents to embrace what's coming and to embrace flexibility. And we need to be flexible in our heads about what the future might look like. And even though it scares the hell out even of though you. it scares yeah. <laughs> oh. And and our children also need to be flexible because things are changing so dramatically that in that very young audience I had I had to say, well, you know, in 12 years' time when your kids go to university, we actually don't even know what university will look like at that point, really. And a lot of the jobs that our kids are going to do, we've we've been saying for years, 60 to 70% of the jobs our kids will do have not yet been invented. Mm. 
And we used a stat from McKinsey, Graham, about what was it, 30% of the jobs that UK graduates did beginning of 2017 didn't exist before. Yeah. Okay. I'm, t- I'm focusing on positivity possibility. Po- it's, it's good. Embrace the change and so on. When I listen to you describe it, this kind of uncertainty that you don't even know about as futurists is really scary. It kind of feels like you're in a sea, you know, where, that's quite turbulent. Maybe you can go in lots of directions, but you can't even really see the bank on the other side and that kind of feeling it does and I mean my kids are kind of the age where they've sort of chosen to be my daughter very happy with her choice my son slogs his way through something because he believes it's a means to an end isn't really enjoying it have to say but in his mind I've got to sort of do this because it's preparation for entrepreneurship and so on he might be right or he might be wrong but before we go into that in more detail let's talk about what really has changed that we have to actually recognize and not deny or be ostriches about the reality of what has changed Uh, I, i think the most important single thing that's changed the most important single answer to that question is that we are now the first generation of parents who know for sure that we don't know what the future is going to be like. And that's not just a little play on words or a little fun cliche to throw out. You know, our parents grew up and made their parenting decisions on the basis that the world, yes, of course, the world always changes. For however long human beings have been on the planet, there's been change every day. But it hasn't been deep, disruptive, fundamental Mm, systems, structural structural change, whatever words work best for you. Only every 500 years or so do you experience that deep systemic change. And we, that's what history studies. We look back at those moments and we label them, you know, the Renaissance and the Reformation and so on. These are once in three or four generation shifts mm. that take place. And we have to now shift our mindset from saying, let's give a practical example so it's not theoretical. If you have in mind that your child might become a professional, let's choose a doctor as an example. Just think of what doctors might look like 10 years from now when your your child is graduating and heading out into their career. Uh, It's very likely that doctors will be completely technology enabled. Uh, using all sorts of modern technologies, robotics, genetic engineering, AI to help diagnose, choose the treatment. There's genetic engineering that's coming. There's personalized medication. And these are just all the things that that all of us in this room as laymen can think off the top of our heads. Then you speak to young people Mm -hmm. who are actually at varsity now, and you don't even know the language they're talking about, bioengineering. And uh, I was just speaking to a friend of ours who's studying um, genetic fluid mechanics that links electrical engineering with robotics, with um, neuroscience, and is in a medical faculty and is now heading towards a master's where there's only one university in the world he can go to because of his specialty. And we have to then think, well, 10 years from now, imagine 
what technology a doctor is going to have in his or her hands. So how on earth do you then begin to prepare a child who looks like they have a medical acumen and a, and a passion for, for healing? What do you even say to them in terms of subjects and so on? Some of those things haven't changed. It's still going to be valuable to have science still going to be valuable to have maths to do that. But it's also going to be valuable to have emotional intelligence, to have a whole lot of stuff we call the soft skills, as if soft and hard are, <laughs> are, are some kind of value judgment. Because the doctors of the future are going to let the machines do a lot of the hard work, and their job is going to be the soft I engagement. I tell you how both surprised yeah. and excited I am when yeah. I hear you say that. Talking. You know, I was thinking that of it is going to be left out. And in fact, what you're saying is that part of it, yeah. that only the human to be yes, in can exactly. do. Mm. I'm so happy to say, hear yeah. you say that. You know, I've been looking at, at offering therapeutic interventions online in a business. And my partners were talking about the use of certain tech modalities, including AI. And I said, you know, the day that you bring AI in as a therapist, I don't want to be associated <laughs> with this, really. You also might and not want to be a human. I really, that. really don't. Yeah. I just think that there is a kind of quality and an X factor. I'm happy yeah. to leave all of that stuff that you're talking about. That can be done with sophisticated yeah. technology as long as that human side you know, really, really is then when you say that the doctors are actually needing to develop their emotional intelligence and to become more empathic yeah. you and more know, human and more, more human. human. Yes. So what we're saying is let the machines do what they probably can do even better yes. and still recognize what is the, it was in, in the human but, realm. But, but here's the point. You now can immediately picture a spread of people because you're going to have to have the robotic engine. Yeah. who builds the surgery tools. You're going to have to have the programmer who maybe is on the autism spectrum, doesn't want to engage with people, but can program the millions of lines of code that will have to go behind the system you're talking about. Yeah. Now, is that person a medical professional? I think they are. Mm -hmm. And so when we think, well, my child wants to grow up to be a doctor, I, I mean, the possibilities of what mm. doctor means <laughs> 10 years from now is unbelievable. There's a thousand options. So how do we then, prepare our kids for well, this? So, and so this then gets to answering your question finally, which is we can't prepare them for a single endpoint destination. You used the picture of a ship going out on, mm. onto a, a bit of a tossing ocean. If you only have one port of destination... Mm you're going to be tossed all over the sea and always feel like you're not heading in the right direction. We've got to actually change our mindset. And instead of having a parenting goal which says, I've got a picture of what my child will look like 10, 15 years from now, and that's what I'm aiming at, we've got to build agility and resilience and flexibility oh. and emotional which capacity. Which are all emotional intelligence yeah. well, skills. Exactly. Yeah. And we've got to build curiosity and creativity. And we, we call them the X factors in yeah. the book. Mm. And we've got to build those into our children. So when a report card comes home from school and you've got a nine-year-old being told you got 72% for English, 
mean, what on earth are we telling a nine-year-old? What does 72% for English mean? Why are we not telling them? You've got great communication skills. Yeah. You've got emotional intelligence. You've got intuition. You've got creativity. And then putting some value to that and being deliberate about developing You know what's skills. so interesting is that actually maybe it was before it's time really because the time is now. There have been people who've really recognized this. And what they have said is that if you look at success in terms of power, money, status, or whatever it is, and IQ, um, IQ predicts school grades relatively well. It's never been a predictor of, it's been a 6% predictor of, of overall success in life. And when they have looked at it very carefully, the skills that you have just, the, the criteria and the skills that you've just enumerated are much better predictors, much better. There's been an attempt, as you probably know, to introduce special programs on those kind of things in schools. Some of them, I know some in some schools internationally have been very, very successful. Um, there was one, you probably know the author of it, called Tal Ben-Shahar. He did the happiness courses at Harvard, he developed a program called Mativ, which has been very, very successful. But they've been hard to have people embrace these things and have people really see in schools that these are the things that are going to be the underlying criteria of whatever people do and make it into mainstream education. So the next thing is, okay, the skills are amazing and one can talk about all of them and how if you have those kind of, you know, IQ might get you through the door but might not really keep you there, so on and so on. How do we start without really being trained and what do we do, what guidelines you give to parents in the development of these skills and are do you think it would be necessary I think you're going to say yes but how do you take them into schools and develop these what they call soft skills I think what it do starts, we do and I do? think it starts be, before that and and we've uh, developed a simple little model that is sort of the basis of the book and, and maybe Nikki you can uh, Take, take it through. People imagine a, mm. a pyramid or a, yeah. or a triangle. Yeah, so imagine a pyramid or a triangle. We've got broad foundations at the bottom. The broadest part of your triangle needs to be at the bottom because with the magnitude of change that we're going to experience, we need kids to have broad, deep foundations so that they can withstand the winds of change. And that for us starts with family. It starts in the home. So education, preparation for the future starts from the very beginning. Don't wait for school to future-proof your children. Don't wait for the government to deliver on its promises of the fourth industrial revolution and preparing your kids for, for that period of time. All of these, what we call X factors for success, start in the home, and they start in really easy, everyday, commonsensical kind of ways. And it is as simple as... Inviting your children in to do the chores with you. So cooking, doing the dishes, packing the dishwasher. There is so much. It's a hidden curriculum. That's what happens at home. It's a hidden curriculum that, that we need to unpack. Mm -hmm. The formal curriculum is what happens when you're at school. But the hidden curriculum, which consists of life experiences, relationship experiences, and developing these X factors for success that Graham's been talking about, creativity, innovation, loving learning, flexibility, adaptability, resilience, all of that stuff starts in the home. The home, the family doesn't matter what shape, what gender, how many people are in the family. Family is your first team. And within the we of the team, we discover the me. Mm. 
Okay, and we learn to get along. That's the fifth X factor for success is being part of a team. And we get to know who we are. That's the, the fourth X factor for success. So when we are in the kitchen, for example, and we're all washing dishes, packing dishwashers, unpacking dishwashers, we get the opportunity to give our three-year-old the chance to empty all the knives and forks onto the table, sort, match, and categorize them, and thread them back onto the hanging cutlery holder. We've just given them a huge educational opportunity, and we believed that they could do it. And that is all the precursor for reading, writing, and maths. You have the opportunity in that moment to say, wow, look how smart you are, Mm. or I love the way you did that, Mm. or whatever it is. But it's that believing that your children can do stuff and then and then reinforcing the teachable moment exactly for the teachable it's a sure. confidence mm. builder yeah. that you cannot create outside of well that it that is less possible to create outside of the home schools are trying to emulate the parental effect but they can't do it it's there's too much emotion in the relationships that bind us and when there is a multi-sensory interaction like Eating dinner together, we learn EQ, we learn to take turns, we learn to listen to each other, we learn to answer, we have the art of conversation that goes on. And, um, you know, that that is all really important stuff, social skills. And getting kids off a device and getting them to sit at a table, look you in the eye and have a conversation. Mm. Because relationships are what life is all about. Mm. People at the moment still are the ones who are offering you a job. Maybe machines will do that one day, Graham. I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> but but your opportunities in life come through the relationships that you have. We need our kids to believe I am, I can, and I will. And they get that opportunity to use home as the laboratory Mm -hmm. to practice life. Mm -hmm. That means that home is not always 100% happy. Children aren't always clean and nice and smiley. We get to have disagreements. We get to say it like it is. We get to throw temper tantrums and learn to get to the other side of a tantrum. We discover what anger feels like. And instead of giving your child a device, let them go through the anger mm-hmm. process. Let them get glad again. Children mm-hmm. must get mad. They always get glad again. Mm-hmm. So parents need to give up the idea of the fact that parenting must look perfect and it must mm-hmm. look clean and shiny yeah. and nice. But what parents need, and and I'm just aware that if anybody's taking notes as they're listening to this, they've probably got a lot of words already on the page. What we've done in the book is we've put structure around those words. So what Nikki's been talking about lead to what we call the X factors. So if if you're thinking of that pyramid, if family is the the base Mm -hmm. where you have the we, Mm -hmm. then the next level up is curiosity. The desire to learn, the desire mm. to grow, so that you giving children the experience of learning something, growing, and recognizing both the power and the pleasure mm-hmm. of, of that growth. And the next level, the third level on top of that is these X factors that we talk about, and there are five of them. And this is the key, we think, and it, it was the thing that, that when, when Nikki sort of showed me how it all fit together, it just clicked for me, that as a parent... We're not going out with a formula. Not every family looks the same. Not every Mm. child is the same. The variables are huge. The variables are huge. Mm. But we do have to have a picture of what what those skills are, 
of navigating the turbulencies we've been talking about. And so what we've done in the book is we've given you those pictures. So if creativity is one of the things that's going to be valued in the future, you then have to think. Let's go back to the very example you've been using, Haneke. Some you, you three-year-old is, is putting knives and forks out together. There are a thousand ways to be creative in putting those knives and forks back. Uh, one of them is to, to put them neatly into the places they're supposed to be and do it in the fastest time possible. There's creativity in how you do it quickly. It might be that they put it in completely different ways. And you say to them, well, put these together in a different way. And they put a knife and a fork and a spoon together. Mm. And you say, why did you do that? Because that's a set. Mm. You know, so it's not all the forks together. It's a knife. Mm. And, you know. And you when, can create a pattern. A knife, fork, create, spoon. A knife, fork, exactly, spoon. Create patterns. You or can you, put them upside down or you can do all sorts of things. In your mind, it's not about the activity. It's about these X factors and creativity. We have to get through to the parents about the breadth of creativity and and their mm. buy-in into all of these things, not only creativity, yeah. we're just using that. So yeah. giving to, kids, going back to the second level of curiosity and learning, giving them time and space to potter and ponder and question. And that's where, as you were saying, time-bound, rule-bound can really knock kids creativity and curiosity and innovative thinking dead in mm. the water. So here's something that, you know, kids don't, when they start playing with a construction toy, for example, the time bound thing says they've got half an hour and in half an hour's time they must pack up. Mm. But they haven't even begun in half an hour to start even testing their creativity and playing on the fringes of mm. an idea. They've unpacked, they've sorted everything out. Now they're ready to play. Now you say pack up. Mm. So the mindset could shift to, you know what, guys, you can have that corner of the family room for 24 hours or 48 hours for the whole weekend. But at five o'clock on Sunday, you'll be packing up. But you can come back and revisit your creation over and over again for two days. Mm -hmm. And then you really see what kids are capable of. Mm. So we've got to be measured because, yes, going a little, a well, few it's steps flexibility forward. with a boundary. It's, really. it, there are always mm. boundaries. When we do painting on a piece of paper, it's on the paper, not the wall. When we've got to fix a problem, the best creativity is when there are limits. Mm. So Apollo 14, they had a, a problem up in space. The engineers down on the ground had to get all the pieces that were in the space capsule and get how many engineers were there, like 15 or 20 yeah, engineers in a room. Me. And they had to work out a solution with what they had right. at their disposal up in space. Mm. That is true innovation and creativity mm. within boundaries, within limits. It's not about having carte blanche. Um, you know what you're reminding me of? It was very old. I can't remember when this research was done, but it was lovely. It was of a group of seven-year-olds. They were taken to a field. Very big field. And the teacher or whoever said, you can play wherever you like in the field. <laughs> and they all kind of stuck in the middle. They mm. kind of gathered around in the middle and they didn't venture far. And then when they changed it and said, you see that fence up to there? You can go right up to that fence if you want to. They all went up to the boundary of the fence and then explored it, you know, and, then, and went much further once they knew there was the safety of the boundary. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. it's important. Yeah. So the boundaries, of course, when you go into the school environment, right now, if you want to go to university, you still need a matric. That's one of those, you know, time-bound, process-bound 
That's the, the one thinking. non-negotiable thing. That's the thinking. Yeah. Um, and maybe, Graham, you want to pick up from there because you've got some really clear ideas around where that goes in terms of do we still need a matric and where does that go from there? Yeah, so, you know, the, the school leaving certificate or the, the matric certificate is just a stepping stone from one thing to, to the next. And what we've got to do as parents is make sure that whatever path our, our children are on, that if there are gateways or stepping stones that they have to step on, that we help them to do that. But we've got to make sure that we don't get fixated on those that the journey is also important and those developing. So if people are taking notes, it might just be worthwhile to give them the five X factors. Yes, We've please. talked about them um, all the time. So the first is uh, break conventions, which is slightly more than just creativity and that it's stepping out of the mold, being prepared to think differently. So break conventions. Second is resilience. Again, there's lots of different definitions and sub things in that, but it's about your ability to deal with stuff. To bounce to, back and problem solve. Yeah, problem solving, get on with yeah. things, deal with setbacks and so on. The third is our ability to learn and all the skills involved in learning and all the different types of learning. That's not just academic learning. But it's, also loving learning for your whole life exactly. and taking responsibility for your own learning journey. And that's where Graham was talking about the fact that you know children need to be involved in their own journey. They have to be invested in their own journey. They need an internal locus of control. Yeah. And, we, and we see that coming out at school when when kids don't like a subject. You were just talking about your son. You know, don't like subjects. Some of them are they've got strong enough resilience and character to just push through anyway. But suddenly something can happen. And that just clicks for them. Mm. And they, they turn, maybe they suddenly realize why they're doing something or something just makes sense. And it's just so much easier and so much more learning is taking place when they're in love with it. Yeah. Um, and that can be a teacher. It can be the topic itself. The fourth is knowing yourself. So that's the emotional intelligence and self-knowledge. And the fifth is relating to others. Um, sort of diversity intelligence and cultural intelligence sure. and connecting with others. And so when we're thinking about that, the family builds the foundation for getting that. Then the curiosity and learning develops the personal foundation for wanting to develop that. Then you've got these X factors and then your child goes to school. Mm. I mean, it's not necessarily all sequential. It's all happening at the same, same time. time. Mm. But school gets built on top of that. And we believe that parents need to adjust their mindset uh, to schooling, to see it very much as a partnership. If you're walking along this journey with your children, then school brings a whole lot of professionals into your life, more equipped than you in certain areas and as passionate as you are in other areas to help your children succeed. But we mustn't get sucked into the schooling system if the system is simply about getting a leaving certificate. Um, we have to choose mm. schools and engage with schools in a way that say, are you developing these X factors? Where's the hidden curriculum and how important is that in mm. school? And providing Would a journey. You say it's kind mm. of like an out of the box, but you're saying about being creative and a little bit maverick. So I'm going to ask you a question about that. Do you think that if these things are really developed in the kids, it affects um, their own, for want of a better word, self-confidence, happiness? Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, sure. Absolutely. You know, that relates into how they feel about themselves and the journey mm. that they're going into. Two, one particular asking that there's been a spate, as I'm sure you're aware, 
they seem to be from time to time. But there has been a spate of teenage suicides, mm, mm, as you know, mm. and you and you and know teenage depression is depression, huge. You know, and so I would want parents to hear how in the development of these the going through the triangle and the five X factor things are going to help, you know, with having their children feel more fulfilled. Authentic, and there's one word that we haven't used yet, which I think is quite important in terms of self acceptance and authenticity is vulnerability. Yes, because when I've looked at these kids, there's certain like should, shouldn't, can, cannot, good, bad, right, wrong, all of that in terms of sexual identity, perhaps, and in terms of perfection. And that is the as long as those card standards are set and I find it particularly difficult for the kids sometimes these days when I hear oh they got eight or nine distinctions I feel like saying I'm so sorry <laughs> I mean it I really what do was the because cost of those yeah. distinctions the cost, yeah. but not yeah. only the present cost but the future yeah. cost yeah. does it mean they have to mm. maintain that image yeah. Yeah. of perfection and, all the time and is and that the cost? only thing they ever heard from their parents and teachers that made them valuable. Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing where the, when you get eight distinctions and that's the cherry on the top of a hundred other experiences yeah. you have. You've got to have the hundred mm. other experiences. At, at, at school. And the 99 other things you know you valued for. Yeah. Um, and then you happen to get a few distinctions as well. Which Congratulations. Nice. Yeah. yeah. But if that's the first thing a parent says when they introduce their child, it's scary. I, I also have the same reaction <laughs> to you. Oh, I'm sorry. So I guess yeah. I guess our, one of our key aims with the book is to help parents to see that their child is more than a piece of paper. Their child is more than the report card. Yes. We need to be building children. We need to be growing children who are so rich in themselves, you know, because if the man mantra in the world of work is going to be who you are is more important than what, what you, you do, do or mm. what you sell, because we know that so much is going to change. Industries are going to rise and fall. Jobs are going to exist and then not exist, etc. Your child needs to be so flexible and so adaptable. And to be that, you have to know who you are. You've got to know what your strengths are, your weaknesses are. What kind of experiences can you showcase so that when that job shuts down, you can apply for another job in the same organization or outside that organization? How flexible is that mindset? You know, especially girls. And Graham, you've got daughters, high achieving girls who by grade nine or ten are saying, I want to be the world's top heart surgeon. That is such a dangerous place to be in because you've only got one idea, one picture that you are living by. And I watch girls who have got six or eight distinctions throughout school. In the final analysis, they miss one or two or they get them and still don't get into the course mm. they want to get in mm. for. And their reality is shattered in an instant. There is nothing to fall back on. We have to have that resourceful, resilient, flexible thinking that Graham was talking about. What does medicine look like? It's not just a GP and it's mm. not just a surgeon. Mm. So I think one of the most powerful things and in the book, and, and Nikki uh, developed this and we've, we've included it in the book, is a concept called the mirror game. And it, it really does help parents. It gives parents an actual structure 
to help their children to think about this. And you do this from as young as possible and keep yeah. updating and it. And from about eight years of age. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, do you want to maybe just quickly describe it? Yeah, so it's, it's just, it's a little booklet that you create with your children and you look in the mirror. Who am I? What words do people use to describe me? How would I describe myself? What am I good at? When I'm at school, how do my teachers describe me? What am I good at at school? How do I feel about things? Uh, we also ask a series of questions. One word to describe your mum. One word to describe your dad. What's your favorite sport? What's your favorite color? It's actually creating this body of information about me. So looking into various mirrors and getting it reflected back because we know that successful people reflect back a lot mm -hmm. on themselves. So teach your kids to look in that mirror and reflect back. And so if my goals are changing, what do I need to change? So it's empowering them once again with self-knowledge, but then getting inside their hopes and dreams, their interests, their talents, and helping them make decisions I around that I see something about stuff. this, also maybe a bit of a controversial question. Of You can see where that's going and having the breadth. There's no dominant narrative then. You know, because kids sometimes do develop a dog. I'm the clever one. I'm the pretty one. Mm -hmm. I'm the this. And there's so many other things that they are as well. Yes. So that will kind of extend in the mirror. Yep. Do you ever ask questions in that? And I'm interested to know what the answer is. And if so, why? If, about what am I not good at? Yes, we yes, do. Yes, that's absolutely so, part of it. Yeah, yeah we yeah. do. So, and because I'm not good at that, but I'm okay anyway. Yes, yeah. and yeah. do I want to be good at it? So must I put some effort in to develop it? Yes, or well, am I okay not being good at yeah, that? Yeah. And then that's where the, the sort of diversity intelligence comes in to say, well, if we need to be good at that as a family or a team, then who is good at that? So who do I partner with? Yeah. Who do I connect with? So all of those conversations flow out of that. Mm. And what that leads to, Dara, is what we've called a talent profile. We want to throw away the concept of the CV, the curriculum vitae, the resume, and say, no, you have to produce what we call a talent profile instead. And what this is, is it's the document that emerges from 10 to 15 years of playing this mirror game with your children. Oh. So when they go for their first job interview, they don't fill out a CV that they bought at the local shop or downloaded from Google and just filled in the gaps. They can go to their employer and say, I'm good at this. This is my personality profile. I'm not good at this. This is where I think I'll work best. I have proof of having done this in the past through the following things. This is how you'll get the best out of me. And I am applying for the job in your business on the basis of who I am and think that I can add great value. Hmm. We, we think if an employer sees a CV with that Mm. As its oh, base, as so a talent reaching. profile. And maybe a little It'll bit of multimedia. Where apart, exactly. Somebody, you know, a teacher or a lecturer. A testimonial. Or, you know, that somebody who's seen you've done something really creative and innovative or you've solved a problem for somebody. Could they actually speak to camera for two minutes and yeah. talk about that and, and about you? Yeah. You know, so it's to put in the color. I call it coloring in your talent mm. profile. So my son, for example, right now is, is overseas. He's got a BCom strategic management. He's 
done one summer camp in America. And I've said to him, go and color in your CV because one degree is not going to do it for 90 years of work because our kids will live for a very long time, probably 100, 120 years, Mm. which means they'll work for 80 to 90 years, Mm. which means they have to love learning for their whole lives and they have to keep showcasing what they can do because they're going to be working for a long Mm. time and they need to make their talent profile completely different to the person next door who might have the same degree. So it's about how you cobble together interesting experiences, interesting qualifications, interesting relationships to create this very colorful picture of who you are. You know, I think it's just amazing and fascinating stuff. I mean, I'm really resonating and loving what you're saying and very, very important. And I'm wondering, I mean, there's got to be some kind of broader platform for all of this to be heard and to be taught. I'm thinking of government departments of education who, as we know, are fairly stagnant. Would they not want to hear this kind of information? Have you thought of making any kind of inroads there? Because it's so important. And I mean, you know, you're starting from the family up. But can you imagine if you've got real buy-in and partnership with people on the same page of, you know, almost every important group that influence our kids all the way through? So Graham was telling me that his daughter's school have actually implemented the talent profile system under a different name. So they are taking the girls through a get-to-know-you kind of process, which is fantastic. So any school can implement the kind of ideas that, we're talking about. Uh, When it comes to government, there's some stuff that I'm doing at grassroots um, on the basis of those children who are coming from under-resourced backgrounds need to start off with a parents becoming aware that they're the hidden curriculum, that you don't have to leave everything Mm. for school and B, that we really need to journey with schools obviously mm. so it's not it's it's a partnership mm. there's so much that we can do at home but we need to get our kids school ready so employers now and in the future will look for numerate and literate children mm. number one you know that's like open the door mm. <laughs> we need to be numerate and literate and of course in our country mm. we have a huge backlog there and there is a lot that we can all do to help that mm. but we need kids to go into grade r who are school ready mm. and that is a big fundamental barrier to entry right now that affects the belief of I am, I can, and I will. Mm. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a way, I mean, I don't know if that's a bit archaic or whatever. You have to have the kids who are ready in lots of practical ways. There's some kind of economic stability that's necessary. There has to be food on the table and all of that. That's the kind of underlying thing. But interestingly, talking about him, one of the things that I was thinking of when you were saying is he was talking about the characteristics long ago of people who what he called were self-actualized right at the top, Mm -hmm. top, top of the triangle. And he spoke about some of the characteristics of a lot of the characteristics that uh, you were talking about. More important about who people are than what they do. The personality is greater than its achievements was one of Mm. the statements that he made. He also spoke about not being all of that concerned with what other people think of you and all sorts of things like that. But the example that you gave about someone being in a job and then moving into a different position in the same job, you know, is why if you look at the financial 
covers of some of the magazines, you see so-and-so bounces back or in a different position because they bring the same characteristics that are not unlike the ones that you've been talking about to bear in a different industry. Mm. It's not so much the industry, it's the characteristics. Well, say, for example, an engineer. Now, if you go to the open days for engineering, do you know who the big recruiters are of engineers? The banks, mm. the financial institutions. And why do they love they engineers? Like skills. Because of the problem-solving ability mm. of an engineer. Mm. An engineer is not, you know, it's not a narrow form of problem-solving. An engineer's brain can tackle any problem. And if you look at the, the number of directors of banks who are engineers, it's huge. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And in fact, that's part of what we, we want people to understand. That's why we put the book together. The pathways that we learned growing up now as today's parents and grandparents, those pathways have changed. Not even are changing, have changed mm. and will continue to, to morph into the future. And what we wanted to do was give people a, a practical guideline. Not one that uh, required massive further resource investment in some program. There are over, what, there are hundreds. There are about 400 of ideas of how to develop the X factors yeah. for success mm-hmm. in very and, practical, yeah. everyday, easy exactly. ways. Expanding so, your thinking. Yeah. Really. You know, I think parents have undervalued themselves in the preparation process you know, in, in preparing their children for the future. I don't think parents have positioned themselves as a hero or a guide alongside in yeah. that journey because they've been positioned as a sage on the stage, but that's changed. Yeah, but I also think that a lot of parents don't know, you know, so they're trying to work it out for themselves. You know, parents in their 30s, 40s, 50-year-olds are finding this world is not what we thought it mm. was going to be and this, you know, our life is not what we thought. We have to learn with our children how the the world is uh, changing, changing mm-hmm. uh, what's going to happen in the future. And we believe, Nick, Nikki and I fully believe we were both parents who've walked this journey, got adult kids, I've still got teenagers as well. And we believe that it's not just possible, but it's also exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's a huge adventure in curiosity. Well, look, I know. hope that after the, this book now has been published and it's available everywhere, isn't it? On it all is. of the bookshops. Yes. So please don't forget. I mean, it's probably going to be like your parenting Bible going forward now. Future proof your child for the 2020s and beyond. Nikki Bush and Graham Codrington. Gary, we have a website if I can give that to people that people can connect with us and connect in. Maybe if people have ideas of taking it into a school, taking it to their workplace, they can contact us and we'd be happy to chat about that. It is FPYC. So future proof your Your child. child. Okay. FPYC2020.com. So 2020.com. What better gift can you have about how to deal with your kids going forward with so many things that you didn't realize before? Thanks for writing it. Thanks for discussing it. Thanks for being here. And I wish you all the very best. It's going to be really sought after and great. Thank you. Thanks, Dorian. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Dorian Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.